falls in the air in the Puget Sound. You remember fall? Dark, cold mornings, sometimes with fog, sometimes with rain, but always dark. By afternoon, it might be rainy, it might be 70. Hard to know. Talk about a conundrum for a fashion standpoint. Fortunately, economics is just a touch more reasonable. We hope you're finding your way in a pumpkin lace world, whether it's in your cup or in a field somewhere. We're fast approaching peak, trick-or-treat, time of the year, which we can say with a sly smile that may infer costumes, politics, Fed policy, or the economic indicator of your choice. Grab hold of your cup and bag of treats because you've just landed in another edition of After Office Hours, the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. It's here that you're going to find an ongoing conversation about our Puget Sound regional economy. We record this podcast about one month after posting our quarterly forecast and report as a way to expand on the report, but also engage you in some of the same discussions we have in our office every day. Today is October 13th, 2023, as we hit record. Depending on when and where you find yourself listening to this, you may want to consider what's shifted in the overhead bins. Today, we have two from our team joining in the fun. Dr. Hart Hodges is an economics professor here at Western Washington University. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute other articles based on the topics. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economics and Business Research at Western. Drew Havens is our research economist and works with the switches and dials of many of our models while providing a wide array of insights into the forecast. Drew writes many of the articles each quarter, as well as the monthly updates for our digital subscribers. My name is James McCafferty, and I serve as the general manager and publisher for the report. I'd be remiss, though, in not acknowledging the many people that we work with in the production of the quarterly and monthly forecasters, both inside and outside of our research center. Now, where do we start? Today, Taylor Swift's providing another huge jolt to the economy, but we may be getting ahead of ourselves. So let's start with the big picture. Hart, I have three big topics I'm going to ask you to help us sort through. Rates, inflation, and the labor market. The obvious question is what's going on with these three, but I think what the listeners are most interested in is knowing is how much should they be concerned about them? Uh, James, you're cheating by combining a lot of questions into one, asking about inflation and rates and labor market. I'm going to start with the what's going on with those three and and then get to uh, what people might want to be considering or worrying about. Uh, inflation is falling, but more slowly than a lot of people want, and by a lot of people, especially the, the policymakers at the Fed. One expectation this year was that the, the housing component would be coming down a little bit faster. It hasn't. So again, inflation slowing, not but not fast enough to, to, to get us sort of out of the woods. So the, the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates, trying to slow the economy to get in, inflation under control. It's working, but slowly. So rates are going to be a little bit higher for longer than a lot of people had had, uh, had, had hoped, right? If we go back a year and a half ago, we were still hearing is, is inflation transitory because when supply chains healed up, we got back to normal or some of the demand bumps in things, out, out, outdoor furniture, office furniture, like when, when that settled out, people were thinking inflation would really come come back down to 2% where we had seen it for, for quite a while. It hasn't gotten there and it's not going to get there even in 2024. And, and so that means the Federal Reserve is going to be keeping interest rates higher, the rates that they can control. And that means other rates are, are moving up as well. One of the reasons there's lingering concern is the labor market. You asked about that, right? As long as we have a really tight labor market, unemployment is in the U.S. is still below 
that means workers have the ability to say, yeah, I'd love to work for you, Drew, but uh, you got to pay me more, right? And whether you think about the UAW or others. And that means if companies are having to pay more for workers, if they can, they're going to raise the price of their products and you get that, that spiral. And so that's in the back of the Fed's mind as well. So even if they're looking at the price of shoes going down, they're worried about that pressure. So longer period of higher rates, should you worry about it? I, I think, you know, yes, there's some things to worry about. Inflation not coming down as fast matters for a lot of households, puts more strain on your on your budget. And then do you need a low rate for something? Were you hoping to move and buy a house? Were you hoping to buy a car where higher interest rates make those things more expensive? They're going to be more expensive for longer, right? It's it's going to take a while. And and I, I don't think we get back to the world we got used to. From 2010 through 2020, we had very, very low rates, very, very low inflation. Things were cheap because you because they weren't they weren't going up in price. And if you needed to borrow, you could borrow it next to nothing. Uh, we don't get back to that. We get we're going to go back to what was, I think, more normal in, in, in prior decades when there was bouts of inflation here and there because of geopolitical unrest, because of a disruption somewhere. So there's going to be a, a different normal. Art, isn't that isn't that the reality of this though? Like the lot, the the recent past was not normal, and everyone I shouldn't say everyone, many people keep thinking like we're going to go back to two percent. Yeah, we've and we've 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 talked about what does back to normal mean several times in the podcast, right? The the economy is always changing. Back to normal with AI, I'm not sure what that means. Back to normal with hybrid work, that's different. But I think what you're saying is that we had a, an anomalous decade. And, and we don't want to always compare things to what they were in 2014, 15, so on. Uh, I think that's that's very, very true. The last potential worry is rates are going to be higher for longer than a lot of people had, had hoped last year, uh, unless something breaks, right? If for the Federal Reserve to lower rates quickly, that means there has to be a problem. So I, I guess if, if you want rates to fall quickly, be careful for what you ask, because what drives that may not be very pretty. That's okay. a fair let point. Me, I think that's... No, but, I, no, but I'm going to turn the tables on you, James. Oh, uh, you're, you're turning the tables? You, you seem to get away with asking all the hard questions on, on the podcast. So uh, it's it's my turn. And, and I'm hoping Drew will jump in and, and, and throw us in follow-up questions. In the last edition, we discussed the economics of return to office and downtown economies. And you've already made your Taylor Swift comment for the day. So I think there was baseball and concert references in, in the article. Can you go back to that, the article in the, in the regular newsletter? Can you go back to that? And why should we care? Tell me more about that, that return to office and downtown economies and why that matters. You know, Hart, this is actually this is this is something I'm I'm a little passionate about. So we're gonna try and make sure my passion doesn't come through too strong here for for our listeners driving their cars so they don't swerve off the road. So we had two articles that we put, and they 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 ran along the same pair of tracks, I suppose. The one had to do about return to office and and the downtown economies was the other piece that we talked about, and the the two are interconnected on a political landscape, because what we've seen from places, and I'll use Seattle as the example, although 
you could name your large city. They're all having the same conversation with around the return to office being at about 50 percent or so of office occupancy. It seems to be where we seem to be stuck. There's a lot of concern by cities that foot traffic, et cetera, in their downtown cores is lower. People, less people going out to lunch, less people dropping off their dry cleaning, less people, I don't know, running out to buy last minute birthday presents. I'm not sure what people do. And so you have all these activity that's not happening in these downtown areas. And so they're very concerned. And there's been some pressure placed, some cities more than others on employers that they need to get their employees back into their offices because those businesses depend on the employees to be there. Now, I've checked my own job description, and I'm sure I'd be hard-pressed to find anyone's job description that says part of your job is to stimulate the economy. Maybe that's an unwritten aspect. I'm not sure. And so I find it very... I'm challenged um, personally by a mandate on the from the political side that you must get employees in commercial space in order to support restaurants and dry cleaners and whatnot. Those businesses are, are important for sure. But what we talked about in the article was that economic activity is for the most part still taking place. It's just taking place in other other places. And so instead of it happening in downtown Seattle, maybe it's happening in Ballard. And so if I force people to go back to an office space through policy and cajoling, then what I really do is just move that economic activity. I haven't I haven't added anything. So I may actually delete economic activity out of a neighborhood or in, or in somewhere else in the region. So it, it doesn't net anything positive. There might be some a little more net positive because it's a little more expensive to go out to a restaurant than say go to the grocery store. But so we've seen some pretty good growth in neighborhood type businesses uh, from throughout the pandemic and into today. And so has it come at the expense of, has it been some realignment of uh, existing businesses? Yes. Yeah, there's definitely been that. And so it's it's a very interesting story that's being only partially told. And I that's that's where the, my passion comes from. It's, it's we're not, people aren't getting the whole story of that. And then when it comes to downtowns in general and thinking about what's happening in downtowns, hence my Taylor Swift comment. But this summer, T. Swift ran into town and we had over a million people in downtown Seattle in one weekend. And I'm thinking, well, if we're talking, if, if we're really interested in economic activity, net positive, then tourism and other types of things. And we had what the, the baseball thing going in Seattle, we, the Mariners looked like they were going to be a, a contender and then broke all of our hearts, right? We had another concert series, Ed Sheeran came into town. We had phenomenal numbers of people in downtown Seattle, as we've seen in other cities for these types of events and activities. And so I think that from an economic discussion, we need to have a better discussion, a more holistic discussion about what a downtown economy looks like and the components of that economy and whether that's a net positive for the region from an economics perspective or whether we're just simply moving moving marbles around inside the inside the region. So you're you're saying that it's not so much that a worker has an obligation to generate economic activity, but they're they're going to no matter what. And the question right. might be you, you wanting people to think just carefully about where, because the activity might be in one neighborhood versus another. And from a regional perspective, that doesn't matter. But business owners are going to be complaining to their city council, right? Hey, I well, need exa- help. 
And, exactly, and, and you and you can't blame them for that, right? No, no, I mean, no, not not at all. And and then there's some discussion about yes, we want a vibrant downtown, um, and it should hopefully include uh, active businesses. But you you want a discussion about what else? Right, right, and and that and that brings us to to the next piece. And fair is fair because I'm going to throw this back at you and say we recently just did a talk about. Uh, commercial real estate and transitions that's happening in in commercial real estate. And that's part of the same conversation, right? Because those restaurants and businesses and even those offices might need to transition. Uh, That space utilization might look differently from a strategic plan. So talk to me about commercial real estate. What do you, what do you, what do you think about commercial real estate in these downtown areas? I'm now wondering how to do graphics in a podcast. I mean, you asked me a moment ago about about rates, and I was saying higher for longer. And that's really important when you're talking about commercial real estate, because during the lower rate, very low rate environment of several years ago, a lot of borrowers reduced their interest rate risk by going with locking in those low rate mortgages with with a longer loan period. So we haven't seen the dramatic increase in interest rates we've had over the last year really hit commercial real estate yet because the borrowers are still taking advantage of those loans at the lower rate. But if interest rates stay higher for longer, those loans do have to be reworked. And so as we get into 2024, you'll see more and more pressure on developers office space owners and and so on so the the problems you know you know and a lot of the predictions for the for the recession of 2023 whoops we're assuming not only would consumers be running out of money by now and they haven't but that commercial that office space problems commercial real estate problems would be very visible by now and they're not but i, th- I think if you get into 2024 especially the second half of 2024 if rates are still high then that's an important conversation. And I need to rework a building and I don't have office workers. That gets into your tran- your, your, your transition. Can, can I convert an office space to residential or something else? That's, that's not a real simple thing they're, because their buildings are built differently uh, and there's some different regulations. But I think you're going to find a period of, of adjustment where lenders and regulators and developers are all sitting back saying how do we make this work from a from a lending perspective from regulatory to go from office to residential or something else because if people aren't going to be coming back to work you said what 50% occupancy on the from the on the office space let's just say it gets to 75 that still requires some some attention that's the interesting part of this story, though, right? I mean, it's it's the market is is readjusting itself. We see yeah. a, a, a tran- transformation within the market space, which is how it's supposed to work. Like this isn't abnormal. It's not being forced upon the marketplace. Maybe the speed of it is being forced a little bit. But because the underlying loan instruments for the commercial spaces had to be reworked, property owners are going to have to figure out how do I adjust my business model Bit. And restaurants are doing the same thing, right? Instead of having 50 tables, maybe they have 20 tables and are doing a lot more food delivery. Or, you know, it, we're seeing businesses do what they're supposed to do, which is to find new ways to do their business to adapt to the market space. 
And I think that the people that fail to adapt are the ones that don't do well. And they're the ones that oftentimes complain the loudest because they can't keep doing business the way they've always done. I, I don't know. I'm going to charge. I'm, I'm going to ask my ten, tenants for an 18 percent tip next time I send the rent bill. Drew, can you help me out? What When we are talking about commercial real estate, what comes to mind for you and, and, and including an update that you may want to mention? Yeah, first of all, we have a, an update to make to our uh, construction and real estate forecast, as well as our general uh, Puget Sound model forecast. We had an eagle-eyed reader of the forecaster notice that the forecasted permit numbers from our summary table and the construction and real estate table did not match up. So we went back and reworked those forecasts. Turns out there was an issue with the way Kitsap County's multifamily permits were being reported. Additionally, we made a mistake in the construction and real estate forecast caused permit expectations to be much higher than they should be. So we've gone back and corrected all of those and the Puget Sound housing permit numbers are correct. So if you're looking at both the Puget Sound housing permit numbers and then also the construction and real estate forecast numbers for permits, go ahead and use the Puget Sound housing permit numbers. And this will all be corrected in our next edition of the forecaster. Drew, you, you, uh, that, that's a good catch. Help, help, help me think about this. Is it, is it a huge, huge change or is it a small change? What kind of an error are we talking about? In terms of affecting the entire forecast, it's not a huge change. This is just really affecting the housing permit numbers. We had printed that there were about 30,000 permits expected in the construction and real estate forecast, whereas we were expecting about 20,000 in the Puget Sound model forecast. So that 10,000 difference may sound like a lot. Really, it comes down to just that issue with uh, Kitsap County's reporting of their multifamily unit numbers, and then something that mistakenly didn't get copied over when we were doing the actual forecast. We are making sure to be extra vigilant in the future about those housing permit forecasts, and we, we thank that reader that brought that to our attention. I do have some other updates regarding residential real estate. The residential real estate market remains strong despite the, having the highest average 30-year fixed mortgage rates since early 2000. And we say that because the lack of supply and pent-up demand keeps prices high, and we can continue to expect low inventory and housing for years to come because construction is simply time-intensive. This summer was a pretty intensive wildfire season throughout the Canadian Plains and the northern U.S., and that means less building material for residential construction, specifically lumber. And that further drives up the cost of construction. So that is another reason that construction in residential units will be delayed a bit. And also that will contribute to higher housing prices in the future. Of note is that average Puget Sound home prices are up 3.8% since Q1 and are up 5.5% year over year. As far as average rents, average rents have stayed above $2,000 for the first time ever in the Puget Sound. And this really indicates that the rental market has been permanently altered by the effects of the pandemic. Overall, what we're finding in our forecast and our research is that fears about a housing market crash in the Puget Sound are just largely unfounded due to that pent up demand, low supply still. And then we had those wildfires this summer, which is creating a uh, less supply for building materials. So there's just quite a few factors that are contributing to that right now. So Drew, that brings me to thinking about consumers, right? And that they're really the economic engines of, of the U.S. economy, depending on who you talk to, 70 to 80% of the U.S. economy is driven by, I don't know, people, 
people just like you listening to this podcast. What do you know about the latest behavior on, on consumers? Like, I know that the, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey comes out tomorrow, so we really can't talk about that to some extent. I know consumer sentiment in general still remains fairly low from a historical perspective. But talk to me about consumers. What do you know? I was actually about to just talk about the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. I know it comes out tomorrow, but our most recent data from about a month ago indicates that the index remains at 40% higher than its low point from a few months ago. But like you were saying, James, that's still quite a bit lower than pre-pandemic. And there are still worries about long-term economic recovery despite this, this bump in consumer sentiment. Inflation is easing, like Hart talked about earlier. We're still forecasting a 5.8% inflation for the rest of 2023. Of course, that includes the earlier quarters of 2023 as well. And then 3.4% inflation in 2024 and 2.9% inflation in 2025. So again, inflation is easing, but it's not exactly going immediately back to that 2% number that the Fed wants. Also of note is the Department of Commerce noted a 0.8% spending increase in July which is likely to continue into August and September with the return of back-to-school sales and purchases of materials that are used throughout the year. And we are also continuing to forecast high growth in taxable retail sales throughout the rest of the year and into 2024 and 2025 as wage growth does start to catch up with inflation. So one of the things I'm watching right here in in this space, and I I just totally interrupted you, but I think from a listener's perspective, something to go look at, because we don't have it yet, is Amazon's just wrapping up their big Amazon Prime days. And so I think looking at the sales data from that, because the first day of that sale, what they came out with, they said that people were buying, but they were buying lower cost items. And so it'll be interesting to see as they come out with a final report, because that's going to be kind of a bellwether as far as whether or not the projections hold for what we're expecting for the rest of the year, right? James, if you get to interrupt Drew, I get to interrupt you. I don't think two wrongs make a right, but uh, article in Bloomberg came out this morning. Title, Amazon Prime Day flashes warning for retailers. So there you have it. So it, I mean, there's, there's some there, the, the data that are coming in are, are pointing to maybe consumers are slowing down, perhaps not at the best of time for for retail. Well, and there's been some interesting data about who, what consumers are spending what. Like I saw a chart the other day that showed that older Americans were spending a lot more than younger Americans. We've looked at data before, Hart, about savings and household savings and which, which households have savings and which don't have savings. And I'm, I'm guessing there's some overlap between a lot of the data points that we're having. So the spending profiles are probably going to look differently as well, speaking of transformations in the economy on who's who's able to go shopping and what they're interested in. Yeah, I mean, the, the people at the, at the lower half of the income spectrum have have seemingly exhausted the, the, the COVID stimulus money. And, and you're seeing that with Target, Dollar Tree, and some others lowering guidance and, and not doing as well through the Amazon Prime period, right? So those are the warning signs or some of the warning signs. I think it's because everyone was saving up for their Taylor Swift concert tickets or movie tickets for today. I think I'm going to I'm going to stick with my Swift theme today. Drew, anything else on consumers you want to add in? Just one last note is that I think compared to pre-pandemic consumer sentiment, which takes into account feelings about inflation, prices and goods being offered, 
about retail sales remains depressed, but compared to the past few months, is potentially on the rise again. Well, I, that's that's hopefully some good news. I mean, we're we're coming into peak season for shopping, so hopefully, you know, we'll see how that works. And if you follow our social media feeds, I'm we'll get some uh, candy sales data and we'll get that posted out because Halloween's a fun fun data point for candy sales. It's a little bit too early today to to get any good data there yet. Um, so it looks like we're about out of time for this this episode. I see our producer is giving us the hook here. So, Drew, you create monthly updates, which are available to our online subscribers. Uh, in fact, those are uh, in the process of going up right now. So by the time people listen to this, they have gone up the other day. What should listeners be looking forward to reading there? Yeah, we're seeing pretty steady declines across the board in the monthly index. The leading index alone is down 10 percentage points from a year ago. And the other categories that are really dragging the index down are the help wanted online advertisements, the interest rate spread, and the sales of durable goods, again, to those high interest rates. People are simply not buying furniture and cars at the same rates as non-durable goods and household supplies. It's not all bad news, however, as the housing permits index increased by 0.6 percentage points from July to August, an indication that new construction might be getting underway. I just saw some great data about U.S. Uh, car fleet age and how cars have gotten so much older. Heart, we were talking about this the other day about we're noticing cars are um, people are holding on cars longer, which is fascinating to see how that the car fleet age is. I have to wonder if it's because cars look the same. It used to be, you know, new models all look differently, and it was really obvious if you were driving an old car, and now suddenly you can be driving a a 15-year-old car and it looks the same as the ones they're selling today. So I know I, 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 people my age might not buy a new car because you can't figure out all the controls of the new ones and what buttons to push and what the screen might be telling you. So it, Fair point, fair point. And, and Hart is our technology guy in the office. So it, that says something when he says that. All right, well, with all of that, that brings us to a close of this edition of After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. We encourage you to follow us on social media to have a front row seat of reading over our shoulders on a daily basis and to learn about other ways to connect with us. And yes, that is a good yoga move, by the way, looking over our shoulders and sitting with us. You can always reach us via our website, that's cebr.ww.edu, or by email at cebr at ww.edu with questions, comments, or if you're just interested in having us bring this show on the road to your event, whether it's in person or by Zoom, we're always happy to talk to groups and and have a good time talking about the economy and whatever topic and sub flavor you might be interested in uh, presenting. After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster is a production of the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western Washington University. We always give a good hearty thank you to our producer, Jill Poon, and to all of our friends at KDMC that make this look easy. To learn more about the topics discussed today, please visit us at economicforecaster.com and subscribe to our quarterly newsletter. Subscribe to After Office Hours for the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster on Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Transistor, or wherever you listen to podcasts. From all of us at Western Washington University, we hope you have a great day. 